This evening's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, and it's 1179 in our Bibles and the pews. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good evening. Uh, My name is Isaac, and um, yeah, I'm a church member of this church. And a special welcome to Melissa um, and to any of you, uh, whether it's your first time here or you've been coming for years. Um, let's pray before, before we dive into the word. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We do ask you that you'll open our hearts, you'll open our minds. May you be pleased to speak to us as we study this passage that teaches us important truths about you, about your son. We pray that we'll meditate upon it and we'll respond to it appropriately. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Amen. Ambition for glory, ambition for greatness is, is a very powerful heart, is a very powerful force in the human heart, isn't it? Recently, we saw an example of it in the World Cup, and you can still see the picture of Messi, those of you who follow football, you can still see the picture of Messi holding the cup after his amazing performances and goals that propelled Argentina to, the, to, to win the World Cup. Messi cemented his, his status in football as the GOAT, as they like to say, the greatest of all time. And of course, the whole footballing world showered him with glory and adoration. Well, let's take an, another example. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew tells us a story about the disciples. James, John, and their mother went to Jesus. And they asked Jesus whether they could sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus Christ in heaven. They asked for positions of glory, privileged, and power. Well, the Philippians church was no different. There were some of those in the Philippians church that were squabbling, they were bickering, they were grumbling. 
they were pursuing their own selfish ambitions of glory. Look at verse 15 of chapter 1. This is what he says. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But this great drive, this great desire for glory, whatever it might be for in our own lives, is something that is deep within our human hearts and drives every single one of us here. Which begs the question, is it wrong? Is ambition something that should be deplored by every Christian here? Well, I want to suggest to you that Paul, um, I think, is telling the Philippians that it's not only wrong, but they have the totally wrong understanding of what true glory is. And they completely, and they completely have a wrong conception of what glory is. Paul is saying that our personal desire for glory, our personal ambition for glory, is simply vain and far from true ambition. But then what is Paul's ambitions for the Philippians? Well, if you look at verse 27 or chapter 1, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in the manner that is worthy of the gospel. Verse 29 For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ that not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Well, Paul's ambition for the Philippians is that they should live lives that are worthy of Christ and the gospel. Paul's message really here is saying that union in Christ or being in Christ leads to imitation of Christ. That inward reality that is true about them, the Philippians, or that is true for us who are in Christ, must be given that outward expression increasingly, whether they're in Philippi or they're in Blackheath. And so, in the light of that, Paul launches into chapter 2 by persuading them. He persuades them. He commands them, but also he appeals to them. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I have an encouragement, if, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain or conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but the interest of each of you, each of you to the interest of of the others. You see, Paul commands them, but he also persuades them and appeals to them because Paul is aware that mere commands or mere imperatives are not enough on their own. Paul understands too well that the law is powerless and will achieve nothing. And so he's keen for the Philippians to grasp the truth of the gospel 
because it's only the truth of the gospel that will set them free. And so he frames these commands, these imperatives, these appeals within the gospel of grace. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is working in us. God is working in us his great purpose. Now you can see that Paul is starting to lead the Philippians. He's starting to lead us to see more of God's purpose. And what's that great purpose? Well, that we should be conformed in the likeness of Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. This is what he says. Yes, I, yes, I, want you, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Or verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they so that they will be like his glorious body. You might notice here that Paul is emphasizing the transforming power of Christ to transform the Philippians, to transform us. In other words, he's saying that the gospel conforms us to be and to become like him. And so this great process, this onward process that is within us is sure and certain because God has begun the good work in us and is going to complete it by his might, working his mighty power within us. And you can see Paul is saying, here is Christ. Here is more Christ. He's teaching them more and more Christ that they may grow in love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so they will know God's purpose and where they are and where they are going. And this is interesting because in Philippians, throughout the book of Philippians, Paul gives examples of people, of leaders, that Philippians should imitate. In chapter 3, Paul gives himself as an example. Uh, in chapter 2, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and of course, in our passage today, Jesus Christ himself. Paul sets Christ before us as an example, or a supreme example, but also as a supreme goal for us to learn from. So what do we learn from Christ as our supreme example? This is the first thing that we learn from Christ. Jesus is God. To fully understand the rest of the passage, to fully understand what Jesus has done, we need to understand what he's like. Well, Paul starts by looking at the nature and position of Jesus Christ before he came to earth. Look at verse 6 from our passage today. Who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God a a thing to be grasped. Christ always existed in the majestic form of God for all eternity, sharing in the glory with the rest of the Trinity. 
You might remember in John, this is how John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ has always existed in the form of God. And Paul is making a clear statement here of the divine nature of Jesus existing in the form of God or appearance or look or likeness of God. Now, it is important to note here that Paul is not just talking about the likeness or the look of Christ, but he's also talking about the being of who Christ is. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God is not, Jesus is not just a reflect of God's glory, but he is the one who radiates God's glory. He holds everything together and sustains it all. Paul summarizes somewhere else in Colossians saying, For Christ, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Now you might remember uh, back in the Gospels, uh, Philip went to Jesus and asked him, Show me the Father. Show me the Father, Jesus. And this is how Jesus replied, He who has seen me has seen the Father, that he is that he's in the Father, and the Father is in him. So Jesus is a revelation of the Father, and Jesus is God's Son. Which brings us to the second point, Jesus, the humble servant. Well, we've already seen that Jesus is God, but verse 6 finishes as saying, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know about you, but it's tempting, isn't it, that the more success we get, especially from the world, whether it's career-wise, whether it's money, whether it's power and influence, it's, it's, it's tempting to leverage it to pursue our own interest. And sometimes even our church is really tempting because we think, well, we've got it. But Christ being fully God did not hold on to his privileges. Rather, he gave them up. He viewed his privileges. He viewed his equality with God. He viewed being God and his power as something that qualifies him to descend all the way to earth for you and me. But he does not stop there. Look at verse 7 and 8. Rather, he made himself nothing Some versions say emptied himself by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to to death, even death on the cross. Now I'm aware that a lot has been written about those verses, um, and there is debate among theologians still raging about those verses. But briefly, I think this is what Paul is saying. First, Paul does not say 
that Jesus poured something out of himself. No, but rather he poured out himself. All that he is as eternal son of the Father, as the one in form of God, poured out fully. Meaning that he poured himself out by adding the human nature onto his divine nature. Those of you who are mathematically minded, it's, 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 a, it's almost subtraction by addition. And so he did not only add the human nature to himself, he added the nature of the servant to himself that later he would obey to die on the cross and fulfill his father's will. Jesus becomes fully man so that he would obey the father by going to the cross. And this is what John, this is what he says in John 6, 8, for I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of my father. Jesus humbled himself to accept obedience, a kind that he had not known before. He took on human nature so he could undergo suffering and pain and crucifixion and death to fulfill his mission of saving you and me. What a savior that we have. How amazing. How amazing is that obedience and how is that, how is the great love that he has for us? I think Paul summarizes it really well in Corinthians when he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, 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 so that you through his poverty may become rich. Jesus became poor so that you and me may become rich. And lastly, very briefly, our last point, which follows from the two points, Jesus' exaltation. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that, that the name Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. On Jesus' resurrection and ascension, God gave Christ the name that has never been given to anyone, whether on earth or in heaven. And what's that name? The name is Jehovah, translated as Lord. Lord means that he has a right to everything he surveys. He has the right and ownership and authority. He is the Lord who is victorious over all his enemies. He's the Lord who is victorious over sin and death. He is the Lord who purchased a people from all tongues and nations and tribe. He is the Lord who holds the key to everything. He's the one who has mastered all the forces and controls them perfectly. And Paul is saying that it is Christ in that position. Why? Because without hesitation, he gave up everything. He gave up his glory, humbled himself to death on the cross in obedience to his father. And now his father has exalted him to unequal glory. Do you see the picture? Do you see God's purpose, how it's drawn us for us? 
And of course, we know the end because verse, uh, the last verse says it. Here's the end. It says, every knee to bow and every tongue confesses and every voice giving him the glory. Jesus is God. How amazing that is. But how should we respond to this all? How should we respond to this message? Let me suggest two things. I would like to suggest that before we talk about living like like Christ, let's just realize what it meant for Christ to do what he did on coming to earth. Taking on human nature, suffering an agonizing death on the cross to pay for our sins. Without comprehending how profound the purpose of Jesus' incarnation was, we will inevitably trivialize the do what Jesus would do or live like Jesus. We will belittle that magnitude of what Jesus has done until we understand, until we see the heights he came from and the depths he had to descend in obedience to his Father as a suffering servant to come and die for you, for you and me, but also to fulfill his Father's will. Let's meditate on that magnitude of the humble obedience and agonizing suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and may we take up the banner of living like Christ when we have first understood more deeply and more profoundly of what the life of Jesus was like and what it took for him. Let us pray that our minds will be given greater comprehension and our hearts deepened with affection. And secondly, having the minds that have been moved, um, having the minds and hearts that have been moved by what Christ has done, we need to recognize Paul's calling in verse 5 of our text. It says, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Give yourself to humble service to others. Well, none of us could possibly serve in precisely the same way that Jesus Christ did. But Jesus is an example, and we are called to look up to him to inform our ways, the way we live our lives, and the way we serve others by grace. Do you remember the story of Matthew, Jameson, and their mother when they went to Jesus? This is how Jesus responded to them. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve each other and to serve God. And these are not works to gain our salvation, no, but they are outworkings of our salvation, recognizing what it took Christ, what Christ did on the cross. So as followers of Christ, we are called to emulate Christ, to look up to him, and may God grant us the vision and grace and the strength as we grow to know better the greatness of his service, but also as we seek to serve God and serve one another. Amen.